This is a production of KMmedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... Wednesday afternoon on KKNW. My name is Kevin McDonald, and yes, you're listening to Positive Talk Radio. And we've got a great show for you today. I know I say that a lot, but today I really mean it. I do. Honestly, I do. And uh, we've got Mitch is with us. And uh, first of all, i got to talk to Eric. How are you, my friend? Hey, happy Wednesday, Kevin. I'm doing well. I know. Can you believe that it's almost July already? I know. Next week. <laughs> and uh, we've got the 4th of July holiday coming up. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you are you excited about that? Do you do you do anything fun for the Fourth of July? No, no. I I had a uh, years ago. I had a bad experience on the Fourth of July involving a suicide, and so I oh, kind of I kind of keep that one low key. Sure, but it is Independence Day, and didn't you uh, host a show called My Independence Report? Report. I did. Yeah. I did. I did. And it was because we were declaring our independence from hate, division and fear which is what we're still working to do with positive talk radio so thank perfect you for that so it seems like yeah it seems like you could uh, make some fresh happy associations with independence day you sound like my analyst uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that that actually would be it would be a really good idea and but and since my dog has passed away now, I don't have to worry about uh, drugging him out because of the fireworks and stuff. But uh, uh, no, as Independence Day is always it's always a good day to remember our country, why we got here, how we got here and how important it is for us to all maintain our independence. Yep. The positive things that our country has to offer and the positive things that we could hopefully uh, move towards in the future if we keep on pushing for that exactly now i did, did want to ask you off the top of your head could you tell me how many countries you visited in your lifetime uh sure uh <laughs> <laughs> can you count them on one hand probably about five oh very very so, nice. exactly on one hand <laughs> <laughs> well how about our, yourself our guest well i've um three three uh, that's pretty good and, and read it outside our borders, I think, is always positive. Exactly. And one of them was in Tijuana, Mexico, and I don't want to ever go back there again. That's scary. Well, All right. So I'm guessing you've been to Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. And the United then? States, yeah. That's, <laughs> okay. that's it. That broaden your horizons. <laughs> I, well, my son is in London, England, and so I may have to go there. Yeah, go visit. But the problem is, Eric, I want to go, I want to, go to uh, Liverpool. But the problem is, is that they drive on the wrong side of the street. Well, you don't have to drive, Kevin. I don't? Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, but it's still, it's, it, I can't imagine. See, weren't we originally British colonies? How come they drive on the wrong side of the street and, and, um, and, and we were once one people long, long, long ago before the um, independence? Well, I hate to blow your mind, but I believe the car was invented after we became separate nations. 
What? But does that mean that when we they were on horseback years ago, did they drive on the wrong side of the street then too? You know, I think everybody was down the middle at that point. But <laughs> uh, well, I guess I guess so. Well, you know, let's let's ask Mitch how many countries he's been to, and uh, and I know he's been to uh, at least two: the United States and Hawaii. Um, wait, that's not right. Um, <laughs> I, I think Hawaii is a state now, but at, at one point was its own country. In, indeed. Mitch, are you there? Yeah. Does that, is my video working? It looks uh, like you've frozen up there, Mitch. Uh, <laughs> you might want to turn down, turn up your air conditioning <laughs> or turn down your air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Let me. Uh, should I do the stop camera and redo it? Or <laughs> You could try that, sure. Let's see if that works. Okay. Well, oh, it, goodness. it'll catch up to us here. What a That's terrible okay. face. We've got a nice picture, at least, of Mitch for <laughs> this conversation. We can hear him. That's the important thing. Well, you Very... know, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about radio is that in the in the past that you could visualize in your own mind based upon the voice of the person that you're 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 listening to. So now we get to find out that we get to um, fantasize in our own mind what Mitch is doing over there and, and, uh, and what he looks like, cause we can't see him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of annoying, but, uh, <laughs> well, well, so Mitch, tell me how many countries have you been to? Well, if you include the one I live in, I've only visited two other countries besides the U S so and that's Canada and Mexico. Ah, me, me too. And Hawaii. Um, no, never mind. That's a, that's that's wrong. That's a, I know it's a little far from the mainland, but it is a part of the U.S. Kevin. So is Alaska, in case you were wondering. Exactly. Well, you know what? Our guest today, his name is John Taylor McIntyre, and he's visited or worked in forty different countries around the world. That's wow. almost that's almost like a third of all the countries. So so let's go ahead and welcome uh, John onto the show. John, how are you? Doing really good. Thanks good. for having me. Well, thank you for being here. You got you have done a lot in your in your. By the way, that's Mitch down there. You can't see him anymore. But... <laughs> I'm having some video technical difficulties. I apologize, John. Nice to meet you. He'll, he'll show up sooner or later. Incognito right? here. Incognito here, huh? Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, so John, I want I'm glad you're here because you have worked in you've worked in Japan, spent five years in Japan as a matter of fact, and ran and ran some companies there. You worked in uh, uh, Thailand, and uh, you've also been in Qatar, and you you're still working for a company in Qatar, and but you've also got your own thing that we're there. You are Mitch. Welcome back. I had to get out and back in. Sorry, guys. Great to see you, Mitch. <laughs> Great to see you too, John. And uh, you've also started your own company of late, which is called Mutual Prosperity. And uh, that's kind of what we wanted to focus on today. But I also wanted to talk to you about East-West philosophy and what you've seen around the world uh, in, the, in all of the countries that you've been to in in the your in your career can you can you first of all give us kind of a, a short bio as to what you've done and who you've done it with and not not all of that just just a professionally um first of all uh just one correction it wasn't thailand it was taiwan uh, I, I knew i'd get I, that I, wrong 
yeah, no, no problem, no problem. But I have been to Thailand too, but uh, um, not not there uh, living and working. Um, so, uh, um, I, I don't know where exactly where to start, but uh, I I grew up with um, lots of cultures and everything around me. Uh, a family of uh, five kids, but we always had stragglers in our house, and uh, we had two uh, foster Indian brothers. Um, and, uh, you know, they were with us during the school year and learned a lot from them. Uh, we had uh, um, international exchange students uh, from Germany and uh, Japan and other places. We had a lady and her baby from Uruguay that lived with us. And uh, um, my, my parents were just really, you know, making sure that we understood that everybody was really important. And, um, and, and so I grew up with that uh, in the background. And every year we would travel someplace in the state one year, and then the next year we would travel someplace internationally. And, and so that became kind of a thing. And that kind of what made me who I am in regards to uh, really being interested in other cultures, um, other, other people's food, um, you know, what other people think and, and everything. And so that's, that's how I kind of became, you know, you know, in the state of where, who I am and, and, and why I, I, I do the things that I do and everything. Well, I'll tell you, um, I know you spent five years in Japan. My son, who's in the air force is currently stationed in England, but he was in Japan and now they want to go back. And the principal reason that they want to go back is because of the food that they have there is in his mind, far superior to the, what he can get in England and stuff. In fact, um, Mitch, uh, and I don't know, I did not know this. I still don't know the name of it, but there is a particular steak that they have in Japan that you, I'm sorry. Wagyu. That's it. That's it. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Japanese Wagyu. It's like, it's extremely expensive. I want to say like close to a hundred bucks or more for just a regular old, steak like we have wagyu over here but it's not there's i'm not sure with the the why or the how they probably prep it maybe differently the japanese wagyu is definitely um i've never tried it something very expensive and supposed to be delicious <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing it's it's mouth-watering um it just melts in your mouth it's 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 so good but there's different grades of wagyu um and so if you have the highest grade then it actually gets even higher than the hundred dollars um, for a steak and everything but you know they can go into the couple hundreds of dollars uh, for a steak what is that tenderloin or what part of the cow does the top grade come from well what it is is um it's actually all different cuts of meat it's actually how the the cow is raised um they they raise it with a special diet and it includes beer um and uh and so the beer actually breaks up the fat cells, okay? So the fat cells are actually throughout the whole piece of meat, which makes it more tender and uh, and more delicious. You know, I keep trying that with beer and it doesn't break up fat cells at all in a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of does the opposite. I don't know why, how they how they do it with the cows, but uh, but they're, they're able to do that somehow. <laughs> that, that, John, are, John, are you a cook on the side? <laughs> um, I love cooking, but... You know, um, I'd have to agree with uh, Kevin's son that Japan has probably some of the best food in the world. Um, uh, they every every type of food that you can get in the world, you have it in Japan, and and you have some of the best 
and the highest quality uh, there. Now, the other thing is that um, uh, I don't know if Kevin knew this, if we talked about this before, but uh, my wife is Japanese and, and she is just an incredible cook. And so uh, so she she, you know, keeps us uh, fat and happy and um, and, uh, you know, keeps us uh, going and everything. But, you know, everything she makes uh, um, is is just incredible. And in fact, in the times that uh, where I where I was working, like just recently in Qatar, um, uh, I would go on business trips and stuff. And sometimes she would go with me like she went to Thailand with me. And while I'm in my conference or in the meetings and such, she goes and does, uh, you know, uh, cooking show cooking um, classes. And, and so she actually learns from the locals how to cook their food. And, and, and she comes back and, and, and treats us to, you know, lots of delicacies and everything. So we're really spoiled. Well, I got I to gotta say, first of all, I think your parents are phenomenal for what they did. Uh, taking, taking in uh, foster kids and having exchange students and, and having a full house all the time. And giving you, giving you the uh, experience of meeting different types of people. I think that's really important. So um, they, they're special people. Well, one one of the other things about different types of people. I mean, we had my dad. My pa- my dad would come home sometimes, and and he'd have somebody with him, and that person he found on the highway, and they're a drug addict or or whatever. Or at times he would take me uh, to like a, the prison, and uh, we would actually go and just talk to people. And you know, he he really instilled in me that that everybody really has value, and and it's not everybody has found their value yet, or they haven't had. The opportunities to get that, and that's that's kind of like my philosophy in regards to how we try and pull that out of people. Well, you're doing a fabulous job with it, and uh, especially with uh, Mutual Prosperity, uh, which is the company that you you're working with now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and how that evolved into what it is today? Well, it's a fusion of uh, um, diverse business and cultural experiences, which focus on the values of transparency authenticity, creativity, inclusion, um, and, and pride in, in individual and group activity. Um, uh, and this kind of comes from my work in, uh, in high technology. So I work for research institutions and I help them take the research results that come from billions of dollars of research um, activity. And those research results, they need to be uh, determined if they're something valuable for public consumption. Um, and, and so ultimately, I review those technologies, determine if they're patentable, if there's something that's marketable, and then then help them go forward. But in doing this, um, I've al- always found that the organizations that I work with, they don't really understand that plight of that technology transfer manager. And uh, that's what it's called is technology transfer. And, um, and it's really important for uh, people to to understand this technology transfers thing. So if you have your iPhone or your your uh, um, your Android, you know a lot of the apps in those phones actually came from different organizations. You know for the GPS and 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 um, you know the touch screen and all those things came from technology transfer. In fact, uh, you know one of the largest companies in the world um, is a technology transfer uh, success, and that's Google. That came from Stanford. And um, and so there's just a lot of activity. A lot of the drugs and medication that we get get come from organizations that work in the biotech sphere and and do this bio um, 
bio-related uh, research. Uh, anyway, um, these organizations who are really tied into understanding, you know, education is the, their number one goal, and then research kind of sits on the side of that. Um, and uh, they, they, the research sits on the side because education is not really complete unless you actually have a mechanism for people to actually learn what they've studied. And they have to learn it with hands-on experience by actually doing the research. And then the research actually has results. But what people, what these organizations don't awfully often understand is that what comes from those results is meant to be beneficial for society. And that's why, you know, Congress uh, allows money to come in. There's what's called the Bayh-Dole Act in, uh, in the U.S. that was put in place in 1980. And that's what requires these institutions to actually take on the ownership of these intellectual property, these ideas, make sure that they're protected with intellectual property, um, with patents and copyrights and trademarks and such, um, and that they can be marketed and then further developed uh, to actually be something beneficial for the public. Um, so these organizations which understand um, education and research, they don't understand this kind of redheaded stepchild um, and uh, it's often confusing for them. So my goal is always to help them understand how that plays into the main goals of the university, which is really one of their main criteria is actually to make things useful to the public. So in doing this, um, there's a couple of things that happen. Uh, the office doesn't often get the resources that it needs uh, to actually do the further technology development. And uh, without that uh, technology development funding, and that investment in, in those activities, it's not really gonna go any place. And so there, you need to get buy-in. And so it's really important that you understand who the players are in your realm. And what I do is I call them the orbs of influence. And these orbs of influence would be like the person that I report to as the director of the technology transfer office. That person would normally be the um, the vice president for research or the vice chancellor for research. And if that, that technology transfer director and that vice president aren't on the same page, then, then things are really not gonna work out. But usually they're on the same page. They understand how technology transfer fits in that whole mission of the research engine and research and development. So then you have people who have to uh, work alongside that, which I call support um, collaborative uh, contributors. And that would be like general counsel. So the attorney for the uh, the institution needs to actually kind of come and play. And that attorney then um, has to, has to. of course, they're involved with all the legal aspects, but because the tech transfer office is dealing with two legal things, one is the intellectual property protection, so patents and copyrights and dealing with the patent attorneys and things like that, but also with uh, licensing. And so the licensing is agreement and a contract. And so those things need to get buy-in from the general counsel. So there needs to be a good relationship there. Then there's people that are supportive, and that would be like the vice president for finance um, or the, the person ahead of HR and the person of head of communications. And these people often have a hard time to understand what the technology transfer office needs to do. And so, so it's really important to kind of get them to understand that so that we're all on the same page and speaking the same language. And this is one of the main things that, that I, I try to deal with is, you know, even though somebody is in an office next to you, it doesn't mean, or your neighbor next to you, doesn't mean that you speak the same language. You have different cultural uh, um, 
things that you've learned throughout time. And uh, you, you have a different language in regards to how you grew up or how you were trained, how you were educated, what type of field you're in. And so somehow we need to get people on the same page. And then once you're on the same page and speaking the same language, then you can start saying, hey, what I do helps you and what you do helps me. So let's kind of work together and make that happen. So that's kind of the big overall picture of what I do. And I call myself an innovation ecosystem enabler. And so basically I'm enabling the organizations to get uh, better results from this, this activity in technology transfer. Now, um, that's the, the big picture, but then you have your own office that you have to deal with. And so I have all these people that are dealing with the patent attorneys or it's uh, the, uh, the administration staff uh, technology transfer, um, the, the technology managers, uh, people dealing with the database and, and people dealing with marketing and all these things. And these people often feel out of the loop. So people in underneath us, if we're not pulling them along and helping them to, um, to, to see that they're part of the process, then, then they're going to feel alienated. And ultimately, they're not going to perform uh, as well as they need to for the whole activity to happen. So um, the one reason why the, the, the travel activities were so important to me um, in, in, in me becoming who I am and, and recognizing that, that everybody has a value is that in, at the Cutter Foundation, um, I worked with people from 39 different countries. And, uh, and that's just a lot of different cultures, a lot of different types of thinking and everything. And so that even brought another com uh, complex issue into play there. So it's not just the organization itself. It's not just the, working with the hierarchy. It's not just working with the people inside, but it's also working with the, the cultural and the language aspects that, that, that come into play. You know, if you're like me, you can replay this by going to <laughs> positive because I caught about half of that, two thirds of that. But uh, I needed to miss you. I'm sure you're younger than me. You're more techn te technology friendly. I'm sure you caught more of that than I did. I I caught enough. I caught a bunch of it. I mean, yeah. There's a there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> so much on the sand. A lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved to make this successful, which also is more, you know, more respectable. I mean, just, it's hard work. It's, it sounds like you know, what you do is it's not easy, but it's also very exciting. And uh, it's a big part of, you know, moving forward and kind of what we need to do. Like you said, everybody getting on the same page um, to make it work. So that's really cool, John. I appreciate you sharing that. Would it Thank be, would it be fair to say that you are what I would call a master communicator? Well, I wouldn't say I'm a master communicator because lots of things that I need to work on. Uh, but um, I try to uh, understand uh, people um, and uh, and help them recognize that they're they're valuable um, and that uh, that the the organization that we have is valuable to the larger organization and everything. So if you take the um, the technical aspects out of my of my daily work, okay, um, and the aspects of this universe, this research university um, activity. If you take it out of that, and let's say, let's put it into a school, or into a church, or into a community, um, 
it, it, it all plays together in regards to who are the players, who are the orbs of influence, um, how do they communicate with each other, and, uh, and what part do they play, and then how can you make sure that they all feel a part of the whole so that their individual parts are, are not just something that they're, they're, they're doing their work, but they're actually enmeshed and, um, and they're woven together and, and able to actually make people work together. So when you did the opening in the show today, I, I, you and I are on the same thinking, and that is that Positive, positive Talk Radio um, is really trying to get the negativity out. It's trying to get um, people on the same page. It's trying to get uh, people actually recognizing that, that everybody um, is needed. Everybody's uh, uh, got something to, to do um, and, and something that is useful for society. Um, yeah, one of the things that I think is really interesting is that um, uh, when you look at uh, the different jobs that are out there right now and uh, what, what's happened in the last uh, couple of years with, with COVID-19, we had a lot of people that uh, kind of quit their jobs uh, for lots of different reasons. And, um, and so the workforce itself is missing a lot of people who have great expertise in their spaces. And, um, and ultimately, we're going to see that uh, people who are, are, you know, who, who remove our trash, people who are plumbers, people who are in the trades are going to actually become even more important than they are today because uh, there's not very many people going into those spaces. And that's partly because a lot of people have been told over, you know, generations that you need to get a college education, you need to, you know, do the regular job and everything. But, you know, nobody should fit into um, one way of doing things, one mode of doing things, because um, that way we, we miss out on people actually being able to prove themselves uh, uh, valuable because they're, they're actually doing something that somebody else can't do or somebody else doesn't want to do. And, and so that's why it's so important that we actually bring everybody together and, and help people see that, you know, in order to make the whole that much greater, each one's got to actually do their individual part. And we've got to let them do their part in the way that they can do it best. And we, we need to acknowledge the fact that they're doing a good job and that they're needed. And, uh, and, and that way we can actually get people enmeshed with each other and, uh, and get society back on a track where we're thinking more positively about you know, what each other has to give and why that's so important, why that's so necessary. You know, the society can't run if it doesn't have people in all phases of things doing all manners of work. Uh, I'll give you an example. My, my, my son, uh, he went to um, diesel mechanic school in, in the trades, and now he is a high-rise um, mechanic that is, is highly, highly sought after because there ain't no such animal. They don't make those things anymore. And, and his, a lot of his contemporaries are in their 50s, uh, or beyond and are tired. And so it, it, if you have a, if you have a son or daughter and they don't really want to go to college, send them to trade school for heaven's sakes. They can make a heck of a living doing that. Um, Absolutely. If, if they love doing something like that. Um, Mitch, I, I, I'm going to have you send us to break, but before we go to break, I got a question for you because John lived in Cutter for five years. Now, when nine, we come nine. back, I'm sorry, what? Nine years. Oh, sorry. 
I undercut yes. him again. Uh, so for, <laughs> no, for nine years. But I would like you to tell me if you were to take a hundred thousand dollars, put it into a briefcase, were you more likely to get us um, robbed in the United States or Cutter? When we come back from this, I, I'll have John give us the answer to that. <laughs> All right, all of our amazing listeners out there, we got John Taylor McIntyre, founder of Mutual Prosperity. You are listening to Positive Talk Radio, and we are going to hear more from John here shortly in the next couple minutes. Stay tuned. Hey, PTR loyal listener. First, thanks for being in my dream. And second, I have a new concept in business to share with you. It's called socialpreneurship. So what's that? Well, it's the idea that any company designates all profits beyond expenses to be awarded to a local or international charity or project which is working to achieve good in the world. KM Media is such a company. We believe that it's important for us to give back whenever possible and to make great things happen. So I hope you'll join us in creating this new business model that will positively impact all of us. In the next few weeks, we will lay out the plan and begin our fundraising efforts. So stay tuned for more details right here on Positive Talk Radio. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. anaturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. Hey, thanks for listening to Positive Talk Radio. Did you know that we're also a media production company? Well, surprise, we are. We can create all kinds of audio video products to fill any need. Please visit kmmedia.pro backslash our dash store for a complete list of products and services. In addition, do you need a great voice to add to your own website or any other project? I know that we can add depth and quality to your work. I've been told more times than I can count by many professionals in the business that my voice adds to the quality of the presentation. So let me create something for you. Please contact me at Kevin at KMmedia.pro and let's create something great. And welcome back everybody to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald and and John Taylor McIntyre is our guest today. And uh, Mitch has disappeared. I don't know where he went, but hopefully he'll come back at one point in time. But that's what happens when you do technology. Sometimes it doesn't work the way we'd hoped it would. So um, in any event, uh, John, welcome to the show. And I know you that uh, welcome back, I should say. You have lived in and worked in many, many different environments, many uh, economic uh, places, many uh, social differences in, in around the world, be it from Japan, they have a, a different view of life in the world than, than other, maybe Qatar or maybe other places. Do you find that even though we are so different and our cultures are so different that we can all get along? No, absolutely. Um, the, the cultural differences um, are what make us interesting to each other. 
um, as long as we don't let it be irritating. But we need to be, you know, open to to understanding, you know, that other people think differently than we do. Um, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be who I am today without having had these different experiences. But everybody can say that in regards to, you know, the neighbors that they have, the people that they went to school with, and everything. And of course, we're we're more comfortable with those that uh, that are like us, okay, or those that that we grew up with and everything. But um, when you when you step outside of your realm, uh, you 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 take this mystique of of what you think about another culture and other people, and you you that diminishes, and and ultimately it comes down to people are people no matter where they are, and that that they're all valuable, and and somehow you know uh, we 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 become better because of of those those experiences. Now, in your experience in all of these countries, what do you think is, well, describe, if you will, the differences between an Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy? So a Western philosophy is uh, more independent, the free thinker, you know, the individual. That that's really important. You know, you see that in in the United States, of course, uh, but all over North America. Um, that that's uh, kind of permeated, especially in U the United States and Canada. Um, so that that individualistic, um, the cowboy, uh, you know, the those people, those those types of activities, those types of that type of thinking is what what made America what it is today. Um, when you get into the East, um, and you're, you're talking, we're talking about, you know, like the Orient, um, uh, you get into where more cultural aspects are really uh, related to the community and, and uh, communal type issues and, and how do you build consensus and how do you pull these different groups together? How do you make it so that um, uh, the population of Tokyo, which is the largest uh, city in the world, um, uh, how do you get all these people to actually work well together, live well together? And these people are living in very, very small places. Um, and you know, in the West, we sometimes call them rabbit hutches, but um, but uh, they're they're really small, and the walls are thin and everything. But how do these people actually live together? Well, they they learn that they need to um, uh, recognize that that they have value, but but others have value too. And that somehow we need to make it work so that everybody, you know, feels like they're part of, of, of the, that, that apartment complex, or they need to be feel a part of the community. And so you do that by giving of yourself and, and make, and it's more group mentality. In the Eastern philosophy, do they value family more than we do in the West and multi multi-generational uh, spaces where they're living together, grandparents and, and, and kids and grandkids and that sort of thing? Um, absolutely. Um, in fact, it's more, it's very common. Uh, and, and I think it's becoming even more common, but I think we're seeing more of that activity happen in the U S especially during, you know, from COVID and everything where people had to move in with their families and maybe jobs were, were lost or whatnot, uh, people, you know, in transition and everything. Um, so what, uh, um what so the the fact that they they live with their families is is very interesting so you know i'll i'll just talk about my own experience uh when when we got married my wife and i got married i was at school in the us and then uh my i promised my father-in-law 
uh, who's in Tokyo, that uh, when we when I got done with school, that we would move to Japan. So we moved to Japan, but the first six months we actually lived with them, and we had our oldest son uh, Jeffrey at the time, and uh, and and old and it was actually a very 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 interesting experience, um, a very different way of living than than how I grew up and everything. Uh, they didn't they actually didn't have a bath in their house. Um, they had a toilet and, and the sink and and everything, but uh, the the bath they went to the communal bath and and uh, in the community and so that that was like very very different for for me um, coming from the states and uh, where we, we we tend to cover ourselves up and and uh, you know those types of things are private and whatnot but but um, that communal uh, um, element is is it permeates the the country uh, you know. Uh, very dramatically in, in 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 those types of ways, but when when I was at the bath and even with my father-in-law and my son and and my brother-in-law, um, you know, you just you get to know people and and you, those things are not embarrassing anymore, and you you have a, a a kinship and everything in regards to that. So that's just one little example and everything. But I think there's another part in the East, and this actually goes uh, from uh, not just uh, Asia, but also from Asia, you know, talking about like Japan, China, Taiwan, Korea, and those countries. Um, you go from there and you go into the Middle East and, uh, um, you know, Israel, uh, the Arab states and everything. Um, peace is a very, very important aspect. So you have Shalom in, in Israel and uh, um, you have, uh, you know, all these different aspects of, of peace, um, Heiwa in Japan and, and whatnot, this, this aspect of peace is actually the communal type thing. So peace means that we're, we're, to, we're collectively working, working together. And we don't have that same concept of peace in, in the, uh, the, the West um, as much uh, because we have this individualistic type tendencies and everything. And that's not necessarily that it's out of our mind. It's just that, uh, that that individualistic aspect is is very important. So somehow, um, you know, as as the Western part of the world has been enamored with things that come from the East, and uh, you know, we have people, you know, doing yoga and and all these different things, which actually help people to bring peace into their lives. We're seeing a meshing of these different types of cultures and different types of thinking coming together. I think that's a wonderful thing. By the way, Mitch has returned. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm good. I apologize, John. I don't know. Computer, as soon as I uh, <laughs> took us to commercial, completely shut down. I was hoping to have it back up by the time it was over. No but problem. I was, not, was not successful. It's <laughs> <laughs> happened well, to me, too. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, the, the question that I posed before we went to break, yeah. which was if you were to take $100,000 cash, and John enlightened me as to this, because he said that. Um, well, I'll have him tell the story, but uh, if, if you were to take $100,000 in a briefcase and go in any major city in, in the United States, would you be as safe as you are in Qatar? And John, tell us the answer to that. So um, I'm going to do it with a precursor just to say when, when, we first, um, ex when I first accepted the job to go to Qatar, um, my friends and family members, you know, 
they were just saying, what in the world are you doing? You're going to the place where these terrorists are and, and, uh, and it's just not going to be safe. And, you know, you're, you're, you're really, you know, not valuing your life the way you need to. And uh, what's actually um, very interesting is it was completely the opposite of what people think. And um, uh, when we, when we moved over there, um, we had, of course, we needed to buy a car. And so um, I, I had at this time, nine years ago, uh, they actually didn't have, not every company could do um, bank transfers, okay, for, for payments and everything. So we had bought this car from a smaller uh, dealership. And, um, and, and ultimately, I, I, I got a loan out of the, from the bank and I, I had to take this cash and it was you know close to a hundred thousand dollars for the car, and um, and I had to take it in a taxi, and I was really 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 nervous, and uh, and I was just clutching that bag and and everything, and I think that the taxi driver was just kind of thinking I'm kind of odd and everything. Well, anyway, we bought the car. I have my own car, and and then I had um, our two youngest children. We have six children, but the two youngest went with us to Doha. They were still in high school and junior high, and. Um, and so I had a, um, because I had to use the car for my work, uh, we had a driver for them. And the driver is a, is a great guy, um, uh, Ahmed, who is a, a really good friend of ours, uh, became a really good friend of ours from Sri Lanka. And, um, and so I was telling him about this, this, this you know, story that, uh, that I felt so, you know, like I, like I was going to lose this money and whatnot. And, and he says, ah, oh, that's nothing. He goes, you have people, you know, carrying millions or tens of millions of dollars in, in their briefcases, you know, all the time. And it's not it's not an issue. So during this nine years that I was there, I, I noticed that um, uh, that that the, the safety in the states, you know, particularly in large cities like New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles, uh, Seattle, even, um, you know, that that the safety was actually diminishing as time was going on and and as i was going to meetings or conferences and everything i felt less safe there than i did in other places in the world and it was very very uh interesting because i grew up in the us and of course the us i understand um you know the safety factor and everything or i thought i did but um but you get those those vibes the heebie-jeebies or whatever and uh that that really you know you know that that hair going up at the back of your neck and everything you know you're not in a safe place and i never felt that when i was in in doha or any part of the middle east um for that re that uh for, for, for that uh, uh part um but uh but you know there is a, a a safety factor that we need to be thinking about and and it's it's just it, it's not the same and uh, now people may say that uh well it's the middle east um uh it's 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 Arab state, it's, it's Islam, and, and they have, you know, high, uh, um, high, what activities related to, you know, if you steal or, or whatnot, that is part of it. But, you know, you could leave. Um, uh, so when we lived in Japan, there, there was times when people would leave their wallet or whatever, you know, on the train, it would get lost and stuff, and it would come back to them, everything in it. And I would say the same thing would happen in, in Doha. It did happen in Doha. And, uh, and so nobody was actually thinking that somebody else's stuff could become my stuff. But it, it's very different, you know, in the States. You, you're likely not 
going to get your stuff back, okay, uh, depending on where you are. And, and lots of places in middle America, maybe it's, 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 it's different, but a lot of the, the bigger cities, um, it's, it's highly likely that that, that that could get stolen. You know, a, a couple of things about that. First of all, uh, um, Mitch, have you ever gone to a convenience store and right there on the front door, it says cashier has no more than $20 cash. Um, and they do that to prevent from people saying, well, I don't want to go to jail for 20 bucks, but think about that car dealer. You had taken, you taken a hundred thousand dollars to that car dealer. And if that's the common way of, of they operate over there, everybody knew that there was cash there and nobody came and, and, and took his money. So that's, I think we, I think we in, in the United States have got a great deal to learn from other cultures. Uh, Mitch, what do you think? Well, yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, one, I was like, wow. So like the 007 movies are a little truthful, you know, when you show them walking around these briefcases full of money, I'm like, who would do that? I mean, I, I don't live in a bad area at all. And I mean, if I had a hundred thousand dollars in a briefcase in my house, I would be nervous <laughs> just having yeah. that much money and cash in general, because I mean, it's yeah. The, and the mentality behind that is that, yeah, I mean, it's, if somebody were to, you know, God forbid, come in the house, just grab that briefcase. I mean, that's a large amount of money gone. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine walking around with that anywhere in the world. So super, super interesting to, uh, to hear about, but yeah, I do like, I agree with you, Kevin. I think we do have a lot to learn, um, you know, about those things. Um, it, you know, we have a lot of fear <laughs> over here around and yeah, I mean, if I left my wallet somewhere, whether it was at anywhere, if I left it and I'm, you know, and it'd been more than five minutes, I'd be like, Oh, it's gone. <laughs> you know, like that's where my mind would go anyway. And I would, I would hope for the best, but you know, it's, yeah, it's scary. So that's, that's interesting. I never knew that. You know, I was a bus driver for 12 years and there were more than one time when I would be driving my bus and there would be a, a, a lady sitting by the back door, perhaps with her uh, purse on her, on her lap and just, you know, waiting to get off to, at her stop. And the, but, and the doors would open and a guy would grab her purse and run out the door. And that's, that's not an uncommon thing in this country. And, and it, I, you know, it just struck me, John, and, and I would love your opinion on this is that does our desire to be independent and independent from each other, independent from other things does that cause us in some ways to not be as uh helpful to one another because we don't care or because we're not they're not part of our tribe or what it, what do you think that is that's a really good question um i think it's lots of things i think it's the way our education system is set up um i do think there's something to do with the individuality and everything where you know, uh, and it's really rampant right now when we have these, you know, very diverse, you know, everybody's on the opposite pole and, and everything. Um, somehow, you know, what I think is more important than what you think, um, uh, where we actually need to get some more communal values in there and understand that everybody brings some value to the place. And even if, if we don't think they bring value, we need to figure out how we get them, get, get, understand how they bring value. Um, I think uh, having some type of common understanding of, of, 
you know, the people that, that live next door and the people that live down the block and the people that live in a different type of area than you. Um, we, we need to not keep ourselves so um, separate from them, but somehow become, become more enmeshed. I was really um, taken by your, uh, the, the advert for the, um, the people that were putting the food boxes together and everything. I mean, that's that's what we need to be doing more of and and getting people to understand and and help each other. And I think if we figure out how we can get people to understand that by helping other people, we're helping ourselves because we get in a society where we're actually um, creating uh, a unified voice. I mean, I, I'm I'm a real proponent. I mean, we were talking about uh, Independence Day and everything, and I'm a real proponent of um, uh, what um, you know what you know what happens if I if I actually you know step outside my box and and you know listen to you know what somebody else is saying, and then how do I take what they're saying? and enmesh it with what I think. And even though they may be polar opposites, how do we recognize where each other is adding value? And that comes back to the question you asked me before is, you know, even though we are in a different culture and everything, um, uh, sometimes we need to pull ourselves out of our, our regular thinking and, and even the person next door to us, somehow we need to figure out where we're more common than, than we're, we're, we're um, separate or, uh, different. And I think the commonalities actually are so much more um, important. And actually, there's a lot more commonalities than there are differences. It's just we've we've made those differences be so, so important. And we need to get that peace that, that they have in, in the East. And we need to be able to uh, uh, get that peace by helping people understand that we care about them. And and we want to, you know, make them whole by making ourselves whole and making the group actually work in a way that uh, that makes the group whole. And, and that's how we actually make society better. So uh, going back to Independence Day and and how we got our independence and and everything, I mean, it's united, we stand, divided, we fall. And uh, I think we forget that. Um, and, and that's where we're at right now. We're at the falling state and we need to actually pull ourselves back together and, and unify and actually become, uh, you know, a, a country of like-minded people in 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 most things and and have our differences that that actually bring the flavor out to to make it interesting for all of us you know john that is a, a, a wonderful statement wonderful sentiment because that's what we believe here and you know um mitch i didn't understand half of what he does for a living but i understand what he just said how about you no, definitely. I wanted to say I couldn't agree with you more, John. I think what we need more of is to what we do is whether it's our neighbor or we see somebody out somewhere is instead of thinking about what we have in common or how we're alike, we sit there and we analyze how we're different. Um, and, and whether that's beliefs, physical, anything. And I think that we need to, people need to try to, and it, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a mindset thing, but it's, you know, taking that step back and, and whether it's, like you said, it's your neighbor or somebody like that, it's like, you know, what, what similarities do we have? You know, what do we have that's in common? And just that mentality is, you know, you're associating just a connection 
And it is a bringing together mindset versus the thinking about how we're different and focusing on that, like, oh, well, that person does this and I don't do that versus what do they do that I also do kind of thing. So I couldn't agree with you more. It was I was really happy to hear you have that talk track, just what you said. So I wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. And, you know, um, my, go ahead. Go ahead, John. My, 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 my oldest son, um, uh, we had a situation where uh, we had in a, in a place where we lived, we had a neighbor who um, had uh, had a kid that was allergy to bees and everything. And and they they actually cut down our, our lavender bushes. And uh, and I was so mad. My wife was so mad. And and we'd had a really hard time, you know, uh, forgiving this person, even though we haven't addressed this because we weren't in the country at the time. And uh, and my son said something that that just struck me. And he says, he says, well, you know what I think you need to do, dad? I think you need to take a plate of cookies. <laughs> okay. And, and that just gets back to, okay, well, you know, here's the type of stuff that I do trying to bring groups together. And then I'm letting something divide me from the people who live next to me, which, you know, at some point I may need them. Um, and they may need me and, uh, we need each other to make sure the neighborhood's nice. Um, and so, so, you know, I think, you know, taking a plate of cookies is actually probably the right thing to do. And so somehow we give of ourselves and we, we ultimately, you know, give back and, uh, or we receive back by having, you know, this, this quilt of all these different uh, people, uh, you know, woven together in a way that, uh, is not tattered. I, I could I couldn't agree more. You know, I spent years in a cul-de-sac. There were eleven houses in this cul-de-sac, and uh, and everybody to a person would drive into the cul-de-sac, raise their garage door, drive into the garage, shut the garage door, and never be seen again until they had to leave to go in the car again. We never knew who our neighbors were. Um, couldn't tell you who. I, I couldn't pick them out of a lineup, and that's just not a great way to be. Totally agree. Totally and, agree. And so, but uh, Mitch, we've got just a couple of minutes left. Is there any questions that you have that you would like to ask John? I do have one question. Okay. What car were you buying with thousands yeah. of dollars? <laughs> well, it's been stuck in um, my head this whole time. I have to know. <laughs> so it was not totally a hundred thousand dollars, but there was the taxes and everything that went with it. But buying a car in the U.S. is very cheap in comparison to buying something ever anywhere else. Okay, cars are just really expensive. They're taxed high and everything. Um, it was actually a Nissan Armada, but it was fully loaded. Okay, and uh, had all the video stuff and in the seats, leather. Um, you know, totally, totally loaded. But uh, that that's that's what it was. Is it's you know the same car in the states would probably have been about fifty, sixty thousand dollars. And yeah, uh, right it, there. It, yeah, yeah. Those are nice cars, though. I remember yeah, I've, I've been yeah. one that, yeah, I had the, has the videos in the head seat or the, for the kids in the back and they're big. Yeah. I mean, that's like Nissan's full size SUV is those big Armadas. Absolutely. So yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. Mm -hmm. Whatever happened to the days when the kids just sat in the back seat and looked out the window? I miss with, those days. With no seatbelts on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, didn't even had, we didn't even we have, have seatbelts. Seat no. <laughs> Do you know it was your dad's hand. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Real, real quick story. When I was in Little League and, and I was 10 years old, we would walk up to a couple of blocks and my coach would pick us up. He had a convertible that was like from the 1950s. And so it was a convertible. You have the convertible, the back down. And we would sit on the edge of the, with our seat, with our feet on the seat of the back seat and sit on the edge of it like five across. And nobody said a word. Uh, and you know what? We're all still here. <laughs> so I have a story like that. My my dad was an orthopedic surgeon, and he was the doctor for a lot of the sports teams in, in the area I grew up in. And uh, he had a little, you know, it wasn't an expensive uh, car, but it was a, a Porsche 914. And um, and uh, so we had this is a two-seater. We had seven people in the seat. So anyway, uh, in one seat of, of that car, you know, <laughs> so it was just crazy. John, I'm so sorry. We've run out of time and I've got to go. But thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, yeah. John. And be kind to everybody because each other's always. Oh, I was going to get. It's like the Oscars. <laughs> we talked we talk too long. I was flustered. Take your award and walk off. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs>